This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from all around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. From brand new work by emerging filmmakers to modern masterpieces from today's greatest icons, there's always something new to discover, such as Alejandro Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain, an incendiary, surrealist, sacrilegious satire that outraged Cannes in 1973. Infused with tarot imagery, alchemical mysticism, and counterculture freakery, it's a lucid dream that lodges itself directly into the subconscious, and there it stays. I personally remember after seeing this movie for the first time having no idea what I had just watched, but I also felt a very strong need to go back and watch it again and again to try and decipher its weirdly hypnotic visual language. It's definitely a weird one, but I can safely say that there's nothing else like it. Highly recommended. So, try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash MusicalSplaining. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash MusicalSplaining for a whole month of great cinema for free. The best of cinema at your fingertips, streaming anytime, anywhere. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Musical Explaining Podcast. I am your host and now professional completed audiobook reader, Kava Tahirian. And I have reinvented the printing press, <laughs> Lindsay Ellis. I was hoping you'd say audiobook writer. Oh. Well, as you, as you noted last week, I did not write an audiobook. I wrote a book that was not meant to, <laughs> to be read out loud. Or else I might have, I don't know, tested it. No, it's fine. Anyway, I just completed reading the pickups, which is after uh, I fuck up a whole bunch and they go through and listen and they collect all my fuck ups and then they say, here, read these again because you fucked them all up. But I finished yeah. those. And they phrase it exactly like that, too. That's They're true. Really That's harsh. the professional way to do it, to be fair. Yeah. That's like, yeah, that is the technical term. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we've gone through your fuck ups yeah. and... <laughs> Um, you've got about 58 and, uh, it should only take a few hours. I actually think I had like 75 or something. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's a lot. It's like, uh, I think you're half, you had something like at least 70,000 words. Something like that. So yeah, yeah if it's like, like 70 fuck up out of 70,000, that's only one out of 1000 words that you fucked up. So that's actually pretty good. It's a good ratio. It's not too bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, I just completed that and now going straight into now a we're recording. Talking. Yeah, now yeah, I'm now continuing talk- to talk. We just did a live stream or a oh, yeah. <laughs> before this. Uh, See, this is why I, this is why I knew you would excel at this life because you uh, you do like to talk. I talk a lot. <laughs> you talk a lot. You're I good talk at a talking. lot. It's true. You, I continue continu- to talk. Continuous noise, just constant, never ends. Uh, speaking of talking, I what I don't know what we're doing. You, you oh, kept yeah. this episode a secret, so I'm going to click yeah. on the thing now. It's, yeah, you're just going to be like, Xanadu! <laughs> Xanadu! I just, I just heard this. I know nothing about Xanadu other than the, uh, uh, what is it? Isn't Xanadu something to do with Citizen Kane? Am I drawing a blank? Am I making this up? I don't know. Just ignore me. You know, it's funny because like before you went on the live stream, I was like, yeah, uh, he doesn't even know what we're doing. <laughs> and uh, I said it was Xanadu and Dano just like is quiet for a minute. And he's like, oh, is it? Uh, I, I don't I know nothing about it. <laughs> well, let's learn you a teensy tiny bit about Xanadu. Teeny bit. OK, going into it. 
Xanadu is a 1980 American musical fantasy film directed by Robert Greenwald. No relation, <laughs> no relation to Gren. Oh my God, I'm already doing my, I have to redo all these again. Yeah. No, you don't because that, that was like, you know what's like one of the many stupid things like I got attempted cancel for was I mispronounced Glenn Greenwald's name in um, the uh, Masked Off video where I, I forget, I forget what the context was, but there was a contingent of people calling me homophobic because I <laughs> couldn't, I mispronounced Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald. The joke I was trying to make was a fantasy film directed by Robert Greenwald. No relation to Glenn Greenwald, I assume. I mean, you don't know that. There That's might be. That's true. It's possible. Uh, I'm just spewing stuff out of my ass now. I don't even know. Anyway, it stars. Definitely. <laughs> definite relation to Glenn Greenwald. To Glenn Greenwald. Glenn. Yeah. No, I think because like the thing I said was like, what was his mother thinking? Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald. Yeah. Somehow that's homophobic. I don't know. Fair enough. Uh, it stars Olivia Newton-John, Michael Beck, and Gene Kelly in his final film role. Ooh, interesting. Saucy. Yeah, there are threads. Okay. I've, I've heard of this Gene Kelly fellow. Uh, the film features music by Newton John, Electric Light Orchestra, Cliff Richard, and The Tubes. Never heard of The Tubes. I've never heard of The Tubes. Uh, who's Cliff Richard? I do not know that person. I... Also don't know. I, I just kind of... I, I Honestly, this is kind of news to me. Okay. Because uh, I thought all of it was uh, ELO. Well, I like ELO, though. So this shouldn't be too bad. Yeah. Theoretically. It's, uh... Well, I mean, the, I think the music is pretty good. Like, it's memorable. Like, I, I've only seen it, like, twice. Okay. And I can remember several of the songs. And this was at least 10 years ago, so. Okay. That's pretty good odds, actually. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, the film is about a struggling artist in L.A. Oh, boy. Really? <laughs> You're going to make me watch a movie about a struggling artist in L.A.? Yeah. Uh, we haven't even got to Law <laughs> It's all building up to the, to the law. Named Sonny, who is inspired by the literal muse of dance, Olivia Newton-John, to start a roller skate nightclub. That sounds fun. Mm -hmm. uh, that's Called it. Xanadu. That's the plot. <laughs> that's the movie. <laughs> okay. Is a muse comes to this guy and is like, hey, uh, I think you need to start a nightclub. And he's like, yeah. And so he does. And that's I mean, the movie. That sounds great. Honestly, a roller skate nightclub. I would yeah. I would go there. Honestly, it sounds like fun. I like the skating rink. It's fun to go uh -huh. to. When's the last time you went to one? 1993. There's one in Glendale that's very fun. Uh, we went there for my sister's 40th birthday party, and this was many years ago, but I mean, not that many, I should say. I <laughs> many, that. many, many. This is like Ooh, five, six years ago. Old. <laughs> my sister, OLD. OLD. But it was a great time. We had fun. We, and everyone dressed up all like 70s and 80s. We were in like short shorts, running around on roller skates, looking ridiculous. It was great. I'll show you pictures one day. Uh, <laughs> Put that on the Insta. Yeah, right. It'll be relevant. It'll be super relevant. <laughs> <laughs> the title is a reference to the nightclub in the film, which takes its name from Xanadu, summer capital of Kublai Khan's Wan Yan Yan bleh, Wan Yuan. I don't know how to read I, this. I don't, I don't know. I don't speak Chinese. Yuan I know it's Kublai Dynasty. Khan. Or at least the anglicized name is Kublai Khan. It's probably not Khan. Kublai Khan. I also tend to read KH at, like the Farsi way, but I don't think that's so. Kublai like, Khan. Well, I, mean, I think yeah. it is. I think Khan. I mean, it's a, Khan. It's a Mongol name. Khan. It's, a, it's all like it means the same thing, right? Yeah, Chinese Khan. King. Kublai Khan. Khan's... What does Khan mean? It means like king? Kind of, it's like dude. That's what I always think of. Like Khan dude. is like a title you sell someone. I mean, not really dude, but. Yeah, the Khan. Is that what, yeah. is that what the Big Lebowski's name when was in, in the Farsi translation? <laughs> the Khan. <laughs> no, that was like smokes with tears or something. Would have been the little <laughs> translation for that. 
<laughs> Walter fights for justice. Walter Fight Club. Okay. K- K- <laughs> and cries. <laughs> Kublai Khan's Yuan Dynasty in China. I apologize, you guys. Uh, I think it's just y- Yuan. Y- Yuan. Um, yeah. Please don't murder me. Uh, the song Magic was a number one hit. You know, Chinese people don't know what it's like to have names mispronounced. Mispronounced. Nor do I at, at all, yeah. which is why. <laughs> but that's the thing. I always feel extra bad. Uh, mispronouncing stuff because yeah, I, just I like know making the pain. fun of people for mispronouncing your name, yeah. and then you can't even pronounce. Look at this I'm idiot! Can't even pronounce <laughs> the basic stuff. Kubla Khan. Kubla Khan. No, Kubla Khan. Yuan Yuan Dynasty. Uh, the song "Magic" was a U.S. number one hit for Newton John, and the title track by Newton John and Electric Light Orchestra reached number one in the United Kingdom and several other countries around the world. So, so it was you know number one. That's good. That said, it was a huge flop and earned negative critical reviews and was an inspiration for the creation of the Golden Raspberry Awards yes. to recognize the worst <laughs> films of the year. Holy shit. It was that bad. They literally <laughs> created the Razzies because of this film. Yep. This film needed to be honored. That's quite a fucking superlative, though, honestly. If you're going to fail, fail big. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a 2007 Broadway stage musical which humorously parodied the plot of the film. It was a surprise hit, receiving praise for its satirical approach, and was nominated for several Tony Awards. Uh, we get this one a lot, actually. We get this one on Twitter, like, all the time. People saying, can you please yeah, watch Yeah, it's kind of Xanadu. a cult classic. It's, like, bad. I don't even know if I'd call it watching, watchably bad. It's no Battlefield Earth. But it's, oh, wow. it's interesting. I think it also just it occupies a really interesting place in history. Uh, just as like because I do feel like culture used to change a lot more quickly than it does now. More I feel quickly. Like, yeah. Oh, OK. Like at least pop culture, mm. because disco was the thing. And then all of a sudden overnight it wasn't and it was gone and it was dead. Yeah. Like the disco era ended very abruptly. I feel like the closest point of comparison would be like the hair metal era, right. which I, I was also ended say. very abruptly. Yeah. Oh, but I'm saying, was there? do you think there was a song? Or I don't really, I can't think of anything, but everyone always gives uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit the thing that killed hair metal specifically. Mm-hmm. Was there an equivalent to that to disco that you can think of? Because um, I don't know. Rioting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, that's the interesting thing about disco is it wasn't like something else came along and replaced it. There was mm-hmm. just a big backlash. Mm. And a lot of people now... Um, feel like it is kind of a racist and homophobic backlash uh, because, you know, disco was largely associated with, like, the gay community Mm -hmm. and the black community and, you know, Donna Summer. And so, like, it did tend to be, like, you know, punk fans and young white men that led the backlash and were like, disco sucks, disco's lame. And everybody was like, well, I guess that's true. Disco sucks. Mm -hmm. It is lame. And then suddenly it was gone. So I think, like, Hair metal wasn't like booted out of malice. It was just replaced. Whereas yeah. disco was very much booted out of malice. Mm. It, like Xanadu is interesting because it was like in production in 79 when disco was still you at know, its peak. At its peak. But it was released after like immediately after the disco sucks, you know, movement. It's so wild. Disco. It's like not only is it not a great film, but like the backlash to it was, I think, kind of even more intense because it like I, the music isn't really disco, but mm. like it it definitely plays into that aesthetic with this idea of like a nightclub that um, roller skates, you know, it's like roller skates and it's very flashy and it's very neon. And, you know, I think the idea of this happening in 1980 was just absurd to audiences because, mm-hmm. you know, disco's dead and also it sucks. 
Sad. So, it, you know, it is it does kind of occupy like an interesting place in like crossroads because I'm like, is it really that bad? I don't honestly remember because I haven't actually watched it since like 2008, 2009. So I, I kind of suspect that a big part of the backlash was because it was like this really sincere movie that was kind of playing off of the popularity of disco, if not disco itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that came out at a time when it was just super uncool to be that. So I feel like a large part of the backlash wasn't really a reflection of the quality of the movie or the music for that matter. Because as as noted, the music did do pretty well. We got a number one hit out of it. Just a change in the culture. Yeah. Although ELO was pretty good at like kind of evading genre. You know, Mm -hmm. no one's going to be like, yes, that's a disco band. Like, Mm. no. Uh, do you remember the circumstances under which you watched it initially? I watched it for a review. Ah. <laughs> and, and Again, you- because people kept recommending it to yeah, me. Yeah, I, I was like, like yeah, all right. <laughs> I guess I'll review it. <laughs> I say this with shame. Oh, I see. Because of, of like, what no, you No, I didn't. Yeah, that. No, I didn't watch it organically. I watched it for a review. <laughs> well, now you get to watch it properly. For not a review. <laughs> Well, now you get to give your honest thoughts on it and your honest opinions about it. That's the important thing. I mean, I don't even, I guess that's a thing, like, because people will remember things that I said, like, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And good God, I don't remember. I'm, I can't even begin to imagine giving a shit what I said 10 years ago. But well, I mean, honestly, sure do. I don't even remember what I said at the beginning of this podcast. So, you know, yeah. that's just how I live my life like a fish. <laughs> I don't remember what you said at the beginning of that sentence. What did you so. just say? I forgot. Um, It won best song for a bunch of things Okay And it only won one golden raspberry award For worst director But it did create the entire awards Okay Also the stinkers (laughs) The stinkers (laughs) Yeah the stinkers Was created for a bunch of movies I've never heard of Except for one Which was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band did not win. It lost mm. to If I Ever See You Again, a movie I've never heard of. Never heard of it. Although I'm learning some interesting thing. There's like one-off special awards from The Stinkers. Uh, <laughs> 1993's Gettysburg won the award for Worst Fake Beards. Fake Beards? Yeah. That's an interesting award category. <laughs> special Annie Award for Ticket Price Gouging went to The Producers, <laughs> which apparently charged $2.50 more than other movies playing at some theaters. Mm-hmm. Worst movie title, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, (laughs) which is an interesting choice because people like that one. Yeah. And also that was the last year The Stinkers uh, happened, was 2006. So maybe their bad takes was what did them in. Did you uh, ever see any part? Okay, yeah. Sorry, Borat, Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan is also now nominated for Worst Movie Title. So yeah, these people just don't understand irony. Yeah, apparently not. Snakes on a Plane, also nominated. Come on. <laughs> Lame. Come on. All right, yeah, fuck the Useless. Speakers. I mean, I'm not a huge fan. Like, the older I get, the less I am a fan of the Golden Raspberry Awards. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they seem to have a better, like, sense of humor and a better sense of what actually is kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did you ever see, I assume you did not see the Broadway stage musical from 2007. I, regrettably, I didn't because I just because I knew people that did and like they were like, yeah, it's actually pretty good. It's fun because like the thing about this movie is it is very self-serious, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, I don't know what to do. And the muse of dance is like, you know what you should do? 
start a nightclub with roller skates. And he's like, yeah. Yes. And in the movie, it's played very straight, you know, but in the musical, it's like, obviously, this is a weird and stupid idea. (laughs) So, you know, they just kind of ride that to its like conclusion. So, yeah, I I do kind of regret that I didn't see it. But it was also like at a time when uh, I think like that was like right before I moved to L.A. So Mm -hmm. have you seen like clips or anything of it? I, yeah. I was at the Tonys, so like, oh okay. wow, we can watch the whole thing on YouTube. The whole film or the whole Tony Award? The whole the whole uh, show. Oh, okay. It's only ninety minutes. Nice. <laughs> we won't have time for this because yeah. uh, part of the reason I chose this is it is only ninety six minutes long, and we're <laughs> we're, we're both busy. very busy. Yeah, yeah. August has been a bit of a brutal month, but you know, not yeah. n- not in a I, bad way. Like, but good. It has for me. It's. Gone. It is just gone. Yeah. Where did it go? Yeah. It's gone. Same. August is over. So the fact that there's no plot makes me seem. Is it just that there's a bad plot, or is it just does it end? Does it air more like on the sort of abstract side of filmmaking? Like there's not a lot of dialogue or anything. It's just sort of like big set pieces and shit. No, it's just kind of stupid. Like, <laughs> it's okay. Dumb. <laughs> like all right. Uh, like stuff happens. It's just kind of like. Okay. <laughs> All right. And it's Gene Kelly's swan song, which is interesting. Yeah. So he saw something in this, obviously, they, that he would mm-hmm. want to do this as his last film. I mean, you'd think so. But on the other hand, Orson Welles' last movie was Transformers. So I guess that's true. Are you saying that that wasn't like a piece of art that Orson Welles wanted to be a Jimmy part of? Jimmy Stewart's last movie was An American Tale, Five Goes West. Again, also fantastic. Sounds like great really? choices to me. No. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, I haven't I'm seen like, it since okay. I was a kid. Yeah, I've got some uh, like I've I've got some American Tale Five Goes West opinions. Not since I was like <laughs> not since I was like seven. So actually, maybe I should hold off on saying it was fantastic. I literally haven't seen yeah. it since I was a kid. No, it, it's is like it terrible. We- it's not terrible. It's just kind of weirdly horny. What? That is not <laughs> what I expected you to say. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's got it's got some stuff. Um... <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> like it's kind of like yeah. It's just saying like the, the film has an oral fixation. Let's just put it that way. Really. Um. And also, there's a weird romance between John Cleese and uh, Fievel's ten year old sister. Who does John Cleese play in the movie? He plays the evil cat. Oh cat shit! I don't think I knew it was John Cleese. Again, haven't seen it since I was a kid. Did not yeah. know who John Cleese was back then. Although I'll say, like, I did watch that movie a bunch as a kid, and then like uh, a year or two ago. We rewatched it just because, like, Dan Olson uh, made a thread about it on Twitter about how I like, fucked up this movie is. Oh, no. When it gets to the scene where um, John Cleese seduces the 10-year-old mouse <laughs> <laughs> with his cat fingers. Uh, like, Angie joke, she's like, this is just the plot of Phantom of the Opera. And I was like, no oh, wonder. no. I thought you would love oh, it then. No. <laughs> oh, no. This explains so much. I can't watch it that movie now. It explains so much. Oh yeah, you it. should. We should. We should have like a watch party. It's really funny. Oh god, no, no, <laughs> no! Mouse burgers. <laughs> Let the saliva. Now I'm like scared flow. to watch it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, and it's a fucked up movie. All right. Well, speaking of fucked up movies, I don't know yeah. if it's fucked up, but apparently insane movies. We're gonna go watch Xanadu. Yeah, let's go watch Xanadu. Uh, but we're gonna go to ad break and have come back having watched. And we'll make the some film. Xanadu jokes. Xanadu. I'm gonna Xanadu that now. Xan ad break. Oh, Xan ad, and then we hold off, and then it goes to the break. Anyway, this is yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, this is this is good. This is we padded this well. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service with thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles, such as Chicken People, a funny and uplifting look at the world of show chickens and the people who love them. 
starting at the largest national poultry competition, likened to the Westminster Dog Show for Chickens, Chicken People follows three top competitors over the course of a year. In the words of Lilu Dallas, Chicken. Good. You can also get access to our streaming video service Nebula when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. The Streamy Award nominated Nebula is a video streaming platform built by creators and for creators, not abolishers, demolishers, or the worst of them all, turd polishers. Ew. So you got Nebula. Why CuriosityStream? Uh, excuse me, are you seriously going to turn down a deal? Hashtag, I'm judging you. Nebula is a place for smaller, indie, education-type creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. With Nebula, you can see original content from creators like Cat Black, Jill Barrop, and of course, the one and only Lindsay Ellis. Right now, you can get CuriosityStream and Nebula for only $2.99 a month or $15 for the full year by visiting curiositystream.com slash musicalsplating. Once you use the code, you'll get a welcome email from Nebula giving you access to all the glory that is CuriosityStream and Nebula. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Hope you back. enjoyed the, that ad, the ad reads with the ever... Uh, <laughs> ever more elaborate storylines <laughs> they're just I think I'm becoming more insane in all of the ad reads I'm just getting more cheeky and fun mm-hmm. well what were you going to say about your dad oh my dad is like your special guest star in last episode <laughs> last, <time, laughs> last ad read he sent me a thing this morning that was like a, a like a telegram clip or something or a whatsapp I don't know which one he was using mm-hmm. the, one of the international ones but like he sent it to my uncle in Iran and he was like in Farsi he was just like you're so fantastic. You should be an actor now. Like he's like, we're all very proud of you. I hope you're all like successful. It's like Aww, my dad's so literally sending it to the internationals. Yeah. So now the people of Iran finally know about curiosity. They know, stream. yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can finally. They're all gonna get sign the up best for it. Yeah. In, yeah, they like the best in documentaries from all around the world. <laughs> learn a thing or two. Maybe cry. Maybe smiles and tears. Uh, it was pretty funny though everyone got a kick out of it they were like very excited to make fun of my dad about it <laughs> yeah we just, <laughs> yeah we're just like well i guess you know you're, you're kind of an actor now audiobook is is it like it's mostly actors that do it acting i'm a voice actor i forget are you are you in sag right i don't i'm so i get so what they call is get taft heart lead when you have lines in a in a big film they'll just give you sag status for i think 30 days and, and then <laughs> if you want to sign up for the union, you can, but because uh, otherwise you have to just get a bunch of vouchers and like rack up your hours until you can actually be, join the union. But this one, you just automatically get inv- uh, invited to it because of, legally they have to. But no, I'm not technically a member of SAG, although I don't know if I can. I don't think I can retroactively join. I, I've never looked oh, into man. it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how useful that is, but uh, it would be kind of funny if you like had lines in a movie, the lines got cut, but you got like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to get SAG status anyway, and I'm just going to squat on it. Yeah. Just, just so get, I can like, be insurance. like, yeah, I'm in SAG. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about that just to get the insurance, but you have to keep mm-hmm. working. So I was just like, what? I'm not an actor. I was like, I'm not going to be able to do any of that. I'll have paid like thousands of dollars and then just basically you, like lost my but membership. But that's how much health insurance costs. Anyway. It's true. That's true. Yeah. But it we'll pays see. for itself. That SAG membership. <laughs> Then they expect you to work the union. Bastards working. So, yeah, Xanadu. Xanadu. The worst movie of all time. The movie that 
inspired the Razzies, the movie that killed disco. Totally unwarranted, by the way. I, I just, yeah. I'll just say that off the top. It was yeah. like really unnecessary. Like, do like, we really? Yeah, I was like, do we want to tease now? I, it is. It is kind of stunning. Like the superlatives that this movie got. You watch it, and it's completely like completely uncalled for. At points, honestly, quite delightful. Yeah. Like they're, they're, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with people? Yeah, it's just like honestly, it's just like, did people forget about camp, or was there that much of a backlash to the concept of camp? I think honestly, there was because this movie is extremely gay, and nineteen. <laughs> 80 was kind of a homophobic time. Yeah, I, I was really, I was just watching it. I was like, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop for it to just be a fucking absolute disaster. And I was like, it never really happened. Yeah. It just sort of was like fun and cheeky and like kind of hilarious. And I don't know if it was yeah. self-aware or not, but I sort of got the I vibe. I think it was. Yeah. So before we get into it, a quick summary. Xanadu is the story of a artist in LA named Sonny Malone. Mm-hmm. He's unhappy despite the fact that he has a pretty sweet gig. Employed. <laughs> He's employed. <laughs> he looks like he makes pretty good money painting like recreations of album covers for record stores. Amazing, and then one by day, the way. Amazing yeah. to see that as a job. Like it's so interesting. Like mm-hmm. just yeah, as like yeah. a, his- a historical bit to be like, oh God, yeah, they didn't just have fucking large format printers. You'd have to paint <laughs> that. It's crazy. So uh, one day, the muse of dance, uh, uh, Torpescora, I'm not entirely sure, just shows up and, you know, kisses him. And she, he's been kissed by a muse. <laughs> and then uh, suddenly he meets Gene Kelly and the two bond and honestly have a much better romance than uh, Sonny and the muse. And then they just—it's <laughs> true. They have <laughs> they, much better you know, love story. They have a little bit of nostalgia. Gene Kelly remembers his like 1940s, you know, inter interaction with the Muse, which also happened. Mm-hmm. And then they team up, and they're like, "Hey, you know what we need to do? We need to to combine our clarinet skills, which is Gene Kelly, <laughs> and your artistry skills, and start a roller disco." <laughs> And that's the movie. And there's very little conflict. They start their roller disco. There's a tiny bit of like, you know, not even not even like a montage where they they like are getting it together. And then um, Sunny finds out she's actually a goddess. That's uh, the conflict. Yeah. yeah, she's not supposed comes, to fall in love, right? She's not supposed to fall in love. And, um, and you know, does. very very late in the film, Zeus is like, "Nah, she can't fuck with you." <laughs> okay, maybe for one night. Yeah. And uh, so Terpiscore goes to the or Kira is how, what she goes. Kira, in, right? By, Kira goes to the opening of Xanadu, has a very fun campy musical number, and then the movie ends. <laughs> so, oh, no, and, and then she's like a waitress or something, yeah, right? Or someone who looks like her. Who that was how like I, right, yeah, right. that was how I took it. It wasn't her, but it looked just like her, right. so close enough. So he does find love. Yeah, so he's just like, hey, a replacement. Cool. I'll I'll rebound onto you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to date a girl rebound. who looked just like the girl I dated before. <laughs> oh, I mean, whomst amongst us. Oh, no, I'm not judging. I'm saying 100%. <laughs> 100%. Whomst Relatable. amongst us has not done that exact same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I I do honestly kind of remember this movie being worse than I found it now. Yeah. And I do kind of wonder, like, again, it's like the time you watched it, because I watched it in 2009 when mm. I think we were a lot more like irony poisoned, yeah. um, like self-serious, nothing, no camp allowed, no like whimsy allowed. Yeah. A very like hyper literalist time. And honestly, like what's what's kind of the most baffling to me is like mm-hmm. it's it started the Razzies, but it didn't really win any except for worst director. 
Which also, again, uncalled for. Yeah, just baffling. The (laughs) the directing is fine and at times really good. Yeah, it's it's far better than some of the other shit we've watched, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I like especially like some of the like quote unquote good directing, and a lot of times, it, obviously, like it, I feel like this would appeal to fans of Singing in the Rain. Oh, it's very much wearing that like on its not just in the yeah. casting of G, of Gene Kelly, but it's also like making allusions to it, which I thought, by the way, was really fun that we had watched Singing uh-huh, in the Rain because yeah. I was like, oh, I know what they're doing, I know what this is about, so you could sort of see its DNA all over it. Yeah, yeah, and like the visuals, I don't think were as sophisticated as a lot of the scenes in Singing in the Rain. They were still there. Gene Kelly actually did. A lot of his own choreography. Mm-hmm. There's a scene t- uh, towards the beginning when he's remembering uh, when he uh, had his muse fling back in the 1940s. Yeah, and again, it's like really interesting directing. Yeah, where, yeah. It's you a know, nice you swing have, number too. Yeah, where uh, he's remembering, you know, Olivia Newton-John in this sort of like war, like you know, uh, boogie woogie bugle boy style song. Yeah, and it kind of you know fades in in that sort of like primitive 1970s like half. Um, transparent, yeah. uh, you know, sort of to sign a memory. As and if then he's he... talking to like a deceased Jedi, essentially. Yeah, is sort exactly. Of what the effect is. But then he stands up and like kind of does that effect too. And uh, like they kind of meet. Yeah. And I was like, that's actually, you know, kind of cool where I they kind of like, lovely. it didn't look like, you know, primitive in that 1970s way. It was no. actually really smooth and seamless. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you liked that scene too. Cause I was like this, yeah, because the intent was. I was right. all about that. Yeah, the you know, that was when it kind of really felt like a musical. That's yeah. when it starts feeling like a musical. Is whenever uh, Gene Kelly and Olivia Newton-John have a little duet, and it's weird how it doesn't feel creepy, mm-hmm. <laughs> considering the age diff. Like he's like seventy and she's like thirty, but like they have this like song and dance number, and there's a very long like tap dance scene. Again, very Again, reminiscent of very singing Gene in the Kelly, rain. Right. Yeah, and it's and it's just so delightful, and you're just like I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you're away from me, wherever you go, you're never far away. I, and furthermore, I would have to say, like, I mean, I guess we'll sort of bounce around talking about different stuff. But Gene Kelly mm-hmm. just seemed because we talked about this in the first half. We're like, oh, it's his last film. Like, how does it yeah. feel? Like, he just seems to be having like a great time, especially during that one sequence where they're like, you need to wear something like glitzy for tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, let's just go to the, I wrote it down. What is yeah. it? They're like, think, the yeah. franchise glitz dealer. And he's yeah. just putting in all these fucking outfits. And there's, yeah, there's a scene where like, <laughs> again, like there's not really a montage of getting the roller disco together. There is instead a montage where they go shopping for Gene Kelly. Yeah. And it's like, like his pretty woman only, moment. Sort yeah, of. They, it's just a pretty woman montage. And it's just for Gene Kelly. That's a wild <laughs> thing where they're like, let's get you some threads, man. And so they go to like, you know, what is kind of reminded me of Cruella, mm-hmm. where there's a scene in Cruella where she uh, goes to sort of like a, um, I don't want to say it's a drag store, but it was obviously like owned by a gay guy, patronized mm-hmm. by the gay community. And uh, I feel the fingerprints of homophobia and racism all over the backlash to this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's like basically they kind of go to a drag store and get Gene Kelly a bunch of threads <laughs> while the people who work there are doing an elaborate dance number in very, very colorful clothes. And it's just extremely watchable. Yeah, it's and he's, fun he's like having a great he's like time. dancing to ELO. And that's another thing. It was interesting because I was like reading, you know, again, trying to understand 
Because it is, it's kind of a goofy movie. I know a lot of the backlash to it had to do with the fact that it didn't really have a structure. It kind of does in like the first 40 minutes. Like it's, it sets it up enough. I feel where like it, it doesn't start insane. It kind of like does its homework a little bit for like the first 40 minutes. And then it sort of just goes crazy. But by that point I was fine with it because it had sort of done yeah. At least enough I think of the they work. really, you know, the people in the 70s, especially after Star Wars came out, were so used to like rigid three act structures. Mm-hmm. And this one has a three act structure, but it's really rigid. Doesn't really have a conflict until the very end. Yeah. Mostly it's just kind of bopping from musical number to musical number. I mean, that is what people portend is the problem with the movie. Although I guess my big problem with the movie is the lead actor. He sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he is that also reminded really me, bad. It sort of just reminds me of Michael that era, Beck. right? Of, of the seventies mm-hmm. of like, or what was it? Like Phantom of the, of the paradise. paradise. It's sort of like, that's, I feel like that's sort of the style of seventies acting was to just put some weird, awkward dude in the center of it. He's like so much for dreams. That's how he that's how the movie begins is he like throws up a paper, rips up a paper and literally says like so much for dreams based on nothing. He throws it out. Um, and, and then Electric in. Light Orchestra starts playing and it's it's also interesting like Electric Light Orchestra has like completely disavowed this movie despite I having don't know never why. seen it. Oh like, really? They never yeah, they they were like just so fuck? like horrified by the reaction. Oh, they just like pretend yeah, they, they just, just distance themselves for, for Yeah, no they reason. just distance themselves from it. even though like they like there's some bangers I, I, in there too. Yeah, exactly. There's some like I think that's the thing is like the music in this movie is like really good. Yeah. <laughs> except for except for the ballad by Olivia Newton John. Yes. I wasn't I didn't love that one. I her agree. hope her hopelessly devoted to you. Yeah. But yeah, like most of the music is like you know it's like really good. It's memorable. It works for like with, with the visuals really well. Mm-hmm. What was interesting though too is. They sing this. It's a musical, right? But they don't really, with the exception of like one or two of the numbers, they don't really mm-hmm. sing the songs. Yeah. They a just lot, sort of a lot have of it them is play like, in the background yeah. as they have some sort of dance number, which to me was easier to like, sort of accept it because mm-hmm. a lot of the things that sort of we've talked about on this podcast forever. Yeah, it's more like, like a dancical because it's definitely yeah. like stopping the movie for a number. Yeah. But a lot of times the musical numbers will be yellow and mm-hmm. not like Gene Kelly. And I don't think the lead actor gets a song at all. Because he sucks. (laughs) (laughs) So the the only minor thing I'll say, which I know you'll say wasn't even really a conflict, but I did think it was something that was interesting, right? Because I personally related to it, which is this idea of like he goes and he apparently so he starts with him like painting, like you said. Mm -hmm. And apparently like his circumstance in life is that he had had this job painting uh, blown up uh, record uh, sleeves onto poster size for the record company. And he had left this job because he was like, I'm going to go be an artist and do art stuff. And then he can't figure anything out. So he gives up and goes back to his original job. And he's sort of like bitchy and moaning like the whole time that he's there until he sees the muse. And then he finally becomes inspired. And then he's like, no, roller disco. Roller disco. (laughs) That's my calling. But I will say this. I think what I thought was interesting about it, and and maybe it's just that I'm in this specific point in my life, part of because uh, because of what you've done to ruin my life to become a podcaster (laughs) and recording voices. But like, you know, I I used to have a very rigid idea of what it was that what my creative life was going to be Mm -hmm. and found myself to be very frustrated when it didn't work out and being like, I don't know what it's going to. And I feel like the more I've sort of let go of what I thought it has to be and instead Mm -hmm. just sort of like allowing your life to sort of take you into a specific direction and then not having this idea of it needs to be this exact thing. But sort of creative endeavors, whatever they maybe could be like your sort of artistic creative life, I, I felt like was a thing that I related to that I had fun with when I was watching it. I was like, oh, yeah, I get that. So what you're saying is this podcast is your 40s slash 80s themed roller disco. Absolutely. This is my roller disco. <laughs> your I roller can't. disco. 
Well, that's what's what's funny is like the movie on its face, it does kind of seem like a bad idea, but the movie does a really good job at selling this idea of like this, like let's blend the past and what was then the present, which was 1980. Yeah. And to kind of have like a retro slash modern themed roller disco. One of my, honestly, probably my favorite, at least like number number was um, the, basically they're imagining their respective decades. Yeah, it's great. It's such a great, it's such a great set set piece. Where they, like Gene Gene Kelly is uh, imagining like his 1940s uh, swing band and uh, Sonny is imagining like his 1980s new wave band and um, real quick though it's they, like they go into the they go into the empty building because they're like can we make this into a roller disco or, or can we make this into something or not so that's what they're and he's like over here they're like oh it's a rock band and he's like no it's a 40s band and then they're sort of bad sorry yeah they kind of have ahead. like a band off yeah like <laughs> but then like at the end like there's again like the worst bat the worst director win is just baffling to me because no, there's this really kind of sophisticated looking um, blending of the two stages. Like they mechanically blend the two stages and the two songs. And then like the two, like, the, the camera dance. like swoops forward yeah, too. It's, the it's dance just great like come to together. It, yeah. yeah, it's just like it's a really fun song, and um, the arrangement of the music works really well. So after I finished watching it, I uh, went because again I was like trying to understand this because you know you look at something like Showgirls, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, but. It it is also quite terrible, <laughs> and um, when you watch Showgirls, you can understand why this got like the moniker of one of the worst movies ever made when yeah. it came out. Even though it is also extremely campy, yeah. like this one is like you know it definitely has a tone, but it's like you know there's an intentionality there, especially like with the visuals. Like it is kind of sophisticated. It yeah. is like I don't think that it is fair for you to say, to compare Xanadu to Showgirls. You know no, because I think all. it's just like no, this just just doesn't make any sense. One of the things I thought was really interesting. We've watched a couple of '70s musicals now, mm-hmm. and then you know I had seen The Wiz, but I I feel like musicals and this. So everyone always talks about New Hollywood, right? About like all the important films like with a capital F that came out during the seventies, but it's kind Mm -hmm. of interesting to look at musicals in the seventies now. Cause I noticed like a theme of how insane and like cocaine fueled they all seem to be, but like, it's not just the quality of the literal film of like it being captured, but you can sort of see this decadence. And I I feel like that's, you've seen way more than I have obviously, but Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's like a consistency here that I, I have noticed that seems to be very specifically of that era. I, yeah, and I think that's part of the problem. Like, this movie came out, like, a year too late. Mm-hmm. Like, if it had come out in 79, this it might have a totally different, like, you know, reception. Um, because it's very much riding off of the popularity of Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, like, because I'm, I'm sitting here watching it, and especially with the inclusion of Gene Kelly, I'm like, this should have worked because the yeah. 1970s was a huge time for 50s nostalgia. Yeah. You know, we have Greece, you have happy days. You know, again, it's like, it's the 20 year cycle. But I guess like the problem here is it wasn't really 50s nostalgia, it was 40s nostalgia. And also like, we were in 1980 by that point. So it was more like a 40 year nostalgia cycle than a 20 year nostalgia cycle. And also I think Greece was a little overexposed. Like mm. it was so popular. I mean, and also Xanadu was kind of following on the heels of uh, Saturday night fever, mm-hmm. which of course is the biggest selling uh, album of all time or was anyway. Yeah. The culture shifted so quickly that it made the movie that was already in production, like dead on arrival. Thanks, Reagan. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is interesting to see how like like just in 1979, 1980, like, you know, speaking of Iran, yeah, right. um, <laughs> like it, it is interesting how like that that crisis was like arguably the death knell for Jimmy Carter. Oh yeah, for sure it was. Kind of was definitely fueled like this conservative backlash and this rising xenophobia. Like so one of the articles I found cuz basically there was this infamous thing that uh, Major League Baseball did uh, mm-hmm. called Disco Demolition Night um, in the 1979. Fuck? Yeah. So basically this shock jock teamed up with the MLB for Disco Demolition Night and they did it to boost attendance for a baseball game. And so this jock was like, everybody bring a disco vinyl. We're going to burn it <laughs> um, in the middle of the field the during the middle of the game. <laughs> yeah. And so... Normally they'd get like 10 or 12,000 people, more than 50,000 people showed up and they burned disco vinyls in the middle of the field, ruined the field. The home team had to forfeit the game. And then the a riot fuck? started. Yeah. Like, and then, and then a rioting. riot started because yeah, of Yeah. And then there was a riot. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. So there was an NBC journalist who was there um, and he attended it and discussed and basically he described it definitely as like, you know, who was doing it? It was white people, almost exclusively white men. Mm-hmm. And he described the fear that white neighborhoods, you know, basically he felt that it was a fear that white neighborhoods would be taken over by blacks. And so this whole thing focused on the anxiety around shifting pop culture trends. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote this. The chance to yell disco sucks meant more than simply a musical style choice. It was a chance to push back on a whole set of social dynamics that lay just beneath the surface of a minor battle between a DJ and a radio station that decided Mm -hmm. to change formats. More importantly, it was a chance for a whole lot of people to say they didn't like the way the world was changing around them or who they saw as a potential victors in a cultural and demographic war. So that sounds familiar. Yeah. (laughs) White males. This is a different quote. White males, 18 to 34, are the most likely to see disco as the product of homosexuals, blacks and Latinos. And therefore, they're most likely to respond to appeals to wipe out such threats to their security. Mm. It goes almost without saying that such appeals are racist and sexist. But broadcasting has never been in a special civil libertarian medium. Oh, so, yeah, that's fucking lame. (laughs) Yeah. So that that. That I d- definitely did fuel, like you know, the end of disco. It didn't wasn't really super organic, mm-hmm. but you know, who fueled the backlash? You know, it was white fans of rock and roll who popularized disco. Who, what communities is disco associated with? Mm-hmm. And you look at this movie, and there are a lot of like really, you know, camp androgynous uh, yeah. like men in here, and yeah. like especially with the dancers, there's a lot of black people in there too. Yeah, that's just sort of like the embodiment of it. And I, I see people kind of like sneering at this idea that like the disco sucks being really fueled by racism and sexism and homophobia, but like it was, I didn't <laughs> just know was. That. that makes sense. Uh, fuck that. <laughs> I don't approve. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd say to say neither of us do. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's weird to say this about like a movie that starred three white people. Um, <laughs> But, it, sure, you know, it's right. just like, again, it's sort of like, you know, disco was a genre that was definitely, you know, largely appropriated by white people because that's true of most pop music eventually. Sure. Yeah. Um, except hip hop. They managed to, <laughs> they managed to keep that one. In. But um, even so, since it was so heavily associated with the communities that popularized it, uh, even roller rinks, like mm-hmm. roller rinks kind of came out of uh, black communities yeah. in Harlem and then yeah. kind of snuck into the mainstream in the late 70s and then died. 
1979. <laughs> and then they were just gone, except for really small children. Speaking of, of roller skates and crazy outfits, it did make me think of some random... I had a random thought, which was like, the idea that like disco was... I mean, obviously, I didn't know all the history that you just dis- <laughs> described. So like, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But I was thinking about certain things from a past era, like a style that sort of just completely went away that people just don't even talk about anymore. Almost mm-hmm. like it's shameful. And I was trying to think of our equivalent. And I was like... Oh, this would have been like if there was a 90s musical of rollerblading kids all wearing fucking uh, yeah. jinkos, like <laughs> running around, yeah, like completely. Exactly. And I was like, man, that would have been fucking crazy to have seen something like that if that had existed yeah. in the 90s. It was just like really like the 90s. Surely we wouldn't be that dated while we were making it. Because <laughs> um, another thing about roller skates, like I don't get roller skates. Those things are hard. How do they like rollerblades are easy. Roller skates are hard. How do they do that? It's easier to sit on roller skates than it is on roller. Or, I mean, I guess I do. I could skate for all of them. But I always had an easier time. I, I'm not I was, easier, but I, I could do both. I always find rollerblades so much easier. It, roller skating is just really dorky. Like it's, it just looks really it's dorky. It's all dorky. Yeah, it's just like uh, like whenever you see the lead actor like roller skating around like to this sad ELO song after his muse has left him, and he's in these like little short shorts, just sadly <laughs> roller skating around Venice Beach, and this is like his low point. <laughs> <laughs> it's really skates. And then he just skates into a fucking mural. He's just yeah. like, I'm going <laughs> to. I'm just going to ram into this mural. Get my muse back. Um, but then like the, the movie ends with uh, like the roller disco being opened and this really large, elaborate dance number on roller skates. Amazing, that is led, by the way. That, that whole fucking number Gene is Kelly. amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It, it's, it's very like percussive. It's wild. Yeah. It's yeah. very colorful. They keep changing outfits in the middle of the song for no reason. But I was mm-hmm. just like, I was feeling it. She's like wearing one weird gold jumpsuit. And then she comes out with a bunch of fucking cowboy fringe. And then she cuts like another thing. I just kept, I was like, all right. Yeah. A nod to Olivia Newton-John's roots as a country singer. Which I didn't know she's, her accent was so Australian. I didn't realize she had, she was like in any way Australian. Oh, yeah. Which, which I looked right, it up. I've only Aust- ever seen oh, her Oh, I guess Greece. you've never seen Greece. No, no, I've seen oh, Greece. I thought you have seen Greece. I don't remember her, but I was Yeah, she's kid. Australian in Greece. Is she Australian in Greece? Yeah, oh, which God. they had to, she couldn't do an American accent. So, like, the character in Greece, the show, is not Australian. But in the movie, she is. Okay, but I guess I must have been too little because, to notice. Yeah, Olivia Newton-John couldn't do an Ameri- a convincing American accent. So, they just like, all right, you're, you're Australian. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> You're an exchange student. She's had quite the impressive career. Also comes from an impressive family. It was like her grandfather or something, like won a Nobel Peace Prize. I was like going through it. Hmm. No, I didn't know that. Because you know, sometimes when you look on Wikipedia and they like list relatives and then all of a sudden, like mm-hmm. all the relatives have like a link to a personal page. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. she comes from some sort of fucking proper ilk. Right. Although I did find something else kind of freaky about her in this movie. In 1983, Newton John's starring role in Xanadu prompted Louisiana resident Michael Owen Perry to think that the actress actually was a Greek goddess who used her eyes to communicate with him and went on a killing spree. Fuck me. <laughs> saying that Newton John and saying that basically like Helter Skelter and Charles Manson, Jesus. like the Beatles told me to do it. Oh. And Newton John said that the incident marked a frightening moment and she fucking a. and it kind of made her. retreat from the public eye and she left the country for a while that sucks yeah one of the things i thought was kind of hilarious about this uh, i don't know if you felt the same way but there's a scene where i think he's like asking her like oh where do you live and she's like oh i live with my sister she's being all coy about like where Uh she's from and he's like but where and she's like oh on the second floor like she's not giving any details they're filming it in the hollywood bowl 
Oh, yeah. Which I think is hilarious because it's like you can see the bowl. There's like this huge set. And then they just cut to this insane animated sequence that apparently Don mm-hmm. Bluth animated. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this looks like Don Bluth. And yeah. uh, sure enough, it was. OK, so Don Bluth aside, obviously, I like that sequence. I just thought it was really funny to go to the Hollywood Bowl, which is like, as I've mentioned on this podcast many times before, like my, my favorite venue in Los Angeles. <laughs> and then like they literally just went there to film a conversation. And then there's like a musical number and they just don't use it. They just cut yeah. to this animated sequence instead. I just thought it was really a very yeah, odd well, that, choice. That's another, yeah, that was another reason why this was a surprise flop, because it had a pretty high budget for the time. It was yeah. uh, like 20 million dollars, which was pretty high for a musical in 1980, 1979. Um, but yeah, there, there's a musical number for you Don Bluth fans out there. This was, um, I think, the first thing he did after he left Disney. Probably, yeah. All you gotta do is stay. So he was still pretty young. And it's like you can definitely see, um, you know. The, it's rotoscoped some of it for sure. Some of it's rotoscoped. But you can definitely see the Don Bluthiness. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what rotoscoping is. Um, oh. Well, watch watch Dan Olson's uh, video he just put out about Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Because like I, I'd been watching. I watched that a couple times. Mm-hmm. And so I've got Ralph Bakshi's comparatively. Oh, it's a diplomatic way of saying this. Um, oh, primitive (laughs) shitty I don't know comparatively bad animation compared to Don Bluth Don Bluth is just a much much better much more talented much better animator than Ralph Bakshi Ralph Bakshi just um it's a whole other deal yeah, I just don't think he's very good. Um, <laughs> but like, it, it is interesting because like Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings only came out a couple years before Don Bluth animated this sequence um, mm-hmm. and also used rotoscoping. And the rotoscoping in this sequence looks so much better than um, any of the rotoscoping in Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he probably had more money yeah. to do it than Rob actually did to do probably, the but rings. also he's just a better animator because it's like some yeah. of it's rotoscoped, but then they like kind of then do they go this to the thing animal stuff, yeah. where like Sword in the Stone, basically, where yeah. they like kind of t- turn into different animals and like you know it looks very Disney, and obviously that is not rotoscoped, but like you know that animation, it's like you can definitely see why Don Bluth was kind of one of the top tier animators in the 1970s at Disney, but Disney in the 1970s didn't have anything to do with their really talented animators. So that's yeah. why they all left. Like, no, I, that's what I was going to say too. I wonder how much of an impact this would have had. Cause like that was sort of when there was no dominant animation mm-hmm. studio, the way that, you know, there was in the nineties, for example, like that's sort of when everything was on its yeah, downfall. Yeah. I wonder yeah, if there, people there were... was, yeah, I think the rescuers came out that year uh, or no rescuers came out a couple years prior. Yeah. yeah. It was a very piddling industry. Like, cause you know, Ralph Bakshi only really kind of had a name on the map because he had a couple of surprise hits in the early 1970s that were, ge- that was geared towards adults. Mm-hmm. Um, but like after that, there just really wasn't anything like uh, for a long time until Disney started uh, amping things. Or really, no, it was Don Bluth. Don Bluth kind of got there first. Yeah, he did. Um, but yeah, especially for adults, there just wasn't really much of anything. Like Lord of the Rings was, wasn't a huge flop, but like it, it didn't help the, the struggling animation <laughs> industry. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There was one uh, one thing that, there was one familiar name at the beginning of the, in the credits. Did Joel Silver? No. Well, yeah. But <laughs> no, no, before that. Oh, fucking uh, the choreographer. What was his name? Um, it was Kenny Ortega. Kenny Ortega, right? Yes. Oh, our old buddy, Kenny our One Take. Our old buddy. <laughs> Kenny One Take Ortega. <laughs> one of his very first movies. He was a choreographer on Xanadu. That's crazy. How old was he yeah. on this? I don't know. I, guess, I mean, he's still pumping him out 40 years later, so... 
Uh, I guess he must have been in his 20s. Yeah. Oh, one take Ortega. But yeah, I mean, that's another thing. Is like the choreography in this movie is pretty good. When we inevitably do Newsies, I feel like you know, I can confidently say that, at least to my memory, yeah. the best thing about Newsies was the dance sequences. Was the dance so. All right. Well, uh, I'll leave this with one PSA, which is when his friend shows up that he's uh, he painted his uh, van, apparently. And he's like, are you going west? And he's like, come on, I'll give you a ride. And then he just pulls on the back of the van with his uh, with his roller skates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember that? And he takes him yeah. to the abandoned thing. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, there's a scene where he like gets a ride by uh, just hanging on to the back Skitching. of somebody's van. He's Skitching like, don't go too fast. Yeah. Remember, I'm back here. Uh, I, I will share this with our, our, our listeners. Do not do that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's very dangerous. Uh, as you know, I, I suffered a very bad head injury in, in uh, high school from doing that with a skateboard. So Really? Yes. I, don't, I didn't know that. Oh, I never told you this story? I mean, you might have. I don't remember. Oh, I literally almost died. I, I fell off the back of a car. I, I was pulling on the back. It was like the middle of the day because we had star testing, which was or not. Yeah, I think it was star testing. It was like some stupid bullshit, like school wide. Uh, which I'm gonna call it testing. And so I got out early and I was like, oh, I'm gonna do it. I don't remember any of this, by the way. This is just what I've been told. Uh, apparently, my friend pulled up in her Ford Taurus as I was like trying to bomb this hill. And I pulled up and I was like, okay. And I grabbed on and I was like, let's go, let's go. And then I just ate shit. I wasn't wearing a helmet, nothing. And I just landed on my fucking head. And I was in the ICU for like 24 hours because I was bleeding into my brain. I had a seven inch fracture on my skull. Holy shit. Yeah. How old was, were you? Uh, 17. And you, you just don't remember that day? I remember waking up in the ambulance, like getting taken to the hospital, but because it was such a severe head injury, I don't remember any of it. Oh, so you don't remember the active? Uh, none of it. I remember like leaving class because like I had finished my test and then I remember waking up in the ambulance being like, what the fuck? Anyway, it was a whole thing. And they were like, well, the bleeding stopped and we can't really do anything for you because it's just a huge head injury. They're like, just take it easy for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So it was like this crazy fucking insane thing. So I always tell people, don't sketch. <laughs> don't pull on the back of a car not that anybody who <laughs> just, listens to this fucking like podcast if anybody watches does. yeah if anybody uh watches xanadu and gets inspired <laughs> to <laughs> sketch behind a van and bend a speech don't do it uh, so we've, it's become we've had lore. enough traumatic head injuries <laughs> it's lore in our family where like my niece and nephew when they were really little would scream at skateboarders passing by being like wear a helmet <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. Yeah. Well, that's it. Because like, yeah, I mean, the thing about traumatic head injury is it can change your personality. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like your personality changed? Yes. I used to not get as flustered by stuff. I used to be even more, not that I'm that mellow right now, but I used to be a little bit more mellow. And and the doctor said that, that you would get like, uh, like angry faster. Yeah. I was like, because, yeah. you know, one of one of my like brainless YouTube genres I watch, it'll be like the strange story of so and so. And one of them was a guy with a traumatic head injury mm-hmm. that like after he got it, like um, he just, you know, kind of couldn't really hold out a job. And yeah. then one day just lost it and hacked up his like the lady he lived with and tried to hack up his neighbors oh, Jesus. and everyone was like pretty sure it's a traumatic head yeah. injury no i part of it too is like what i think what age i think that happens with a lot of serial killers right a lot of serial killers yeah. tend to have traumatic head injuries when they're very yeah, young yeah it's it, it's, it's a very common yeah. thing i'm that's not a, a serial yeah, that's, killer that's why I, I mean you wouldn't admit it but <laughs> all the bodies i have I mean, yeah seriously like if you would you know if you were a serial killer if you were a serial killer you know You'd be a pretty bad one if you were. If you I would just be the sort of absolute like, worst. 
jokey joked about how <laughs> <laughs> so i chopped up this yeah. body yeah yeah no. like yeah no that's that's it's like this is sad like that's where my mind immediately went when you talk about <laughs> yeah, I was like, you just took it to like 11 like, jesus <laughs> well you know what i associate traumatic yeah. head injury with no serial I'm, killers. <laughs> I'm talking like i used to not yell and then i would yell i'm like that's the extent of how much the head injury affected my anger but. uh-huh well i mean you're I mean, you're young-ish. You got yeah, time to get started. Yeah. Some some people only get started in their serial killer career like in their 40s. Who started in their 40s? Most of them. Really? Some of them. Okay. A few of them. A few of them. Not very many. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure, I'm this, sure is some to- this is getting weirder by the second. But yes, no, I didn't become a serial killer, thankfully. Yeah. But yes, yeah. the point being, don't I'm gonna, pull yeah, I'm going to like, you know, create a, create a spreadsheet of just like, you <laughs> know, serial, spread, killer yeah, serial killers and when they got started and when they got caught. Listen, if we make a podcast about that, we'll be millionaires, apparently, because mm-hmm. that's all anyone wants to listen to anymore these days. Anyway, now so we're going into a different Xanadu. thing. Xanadu. Yes. Xanadu. <laughs> delightful. Completely uncalled for in terms of all the bashing. Yeah. Somehow the movie that you and I have both agreed on like wholeheartedly all the way yeah, through this is and have no criticisms yeah. for it. Basically no criticism except for Sonny Malone. He sucks. I don't like the lead actor. Uh, Gene but Kelly he's having pretty... a delightful time. Yeah, I love seeing Kelly's him having, having a fun, fun time. I think it's just like it is kind of sad because like the implication here of the movie is like we're going to start a roller disco right before disco dies. And, you know, the movie was released after disco already died. And, you know, that everybody was so sad about the reception of this movie. So, you know, it makes sense that it like kind of did become a cult classic and now it has this really devoted following. To which we are members of now. <laughs> yeah, it is like you watch Gene Kelly and it is sort of bittersweet because he's clearly having fun. Oh, he's you having know, a he's blast. Clearly, you know. Is it weird uh, that I was so happy for talents. him? I was like, <laughs> he just seemed like he'd be having such a great time. Yeah, basically a starring role. And yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So if you haven't watched Xanadu, go yeah. check it out. It's short. <laughs> it's fun. Short and sweet it's fun it's got electric light orchestra everybody totally. wins yeah it's a good time there's no not a bad thing really to say about it it's a fun time especially for people who listen to this podcast I'm sure they'll all love it so thank you guys for listening uh, please go ahead and check out our sponsor links we work very hard to make sure we get you guys a great deal as I've mentioned in, in the ad read so please uh, go ahead and follow those links uh, if you enjoy listening to our podcast please leave us a review let us know uh, how you feel about it and go ahead and follow us on social media on Twitter we are at musical splaining with no G music at musical splaining and on Instagram we are at musical splaining with a G I am at Kavitaharian on Twitter and at permafriends on Instagram. Also, I just found out today I'm going to be uh, sharing a table at uh, DesignerCon in November. I'm very excited. So, please, Oh, yeah. Where's that? Uh, it's going to be at the Anaheim Convention Center. Oh, well, that's good. At least one of us gets yeah. to go to a convention at the Anaheim Convention say, Center. Because, uh, because uh, <laughs> whatchamacallit has been canceled, unfortunately, yeah. or I guess postponed. Yeah, uh, VidCon, VidCon has been postponed until June. But if you're in the Anaheim area and you want to go to DesignerCon... Yeah. You can see our very own Cavacado. Cavacado will be there. I'm going to start ramping up, uh, probably make print some books and some stickers and some random stuff. So take a look at my Instagram and keep uh, keep tabs on it. Let me know. I'm going to be looking to see what you guys want to purchase if you're interested. So please do that. Right. We got to get uh, Chekhov's Nun. Yes. Yes. We have to have some of that merchant shit, too, that we'll have in person. Yeah. Maybe I can get you to come down for yeah. an hour and just uh, sit on the Maybe booth like with One me. night only. Yeah, yeah. right. Lindsay's here. <laughs> And all of the the people at DesignerCon, these professionals will be like, who? Who? (laughs) Who?
Anyway, okay. anyway, guys. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you at the next one.